So the Green Bay Packers and New Orleans Saints held two joint practices this past week up in Green Bay. And during the second day of practices, one of their receivers knocked one of our defensive backs down, and he got up in a shoving match and ensued, and pretty soon the Packers defense was backing up the defensive back, and the New Orleans offense was backing up their receiver. And it was kind of a way of each saying, team saying, we've, we've got our guys back, because he, he's one of us. Wiser heads quickly broke them apart before anyone was injured just because of a practice skirmish. But he's one of us, kind of the motto of that particular moment. Uh, when you hear a phrase like, you know, blood's thicker than water, that's, that's what it's about. Uh, whatever community you're a part of, a family, a church, whatever, you know, I think we all kind of feel permission to be critical of our own sometimes, but if somebody from the outside is critical of us, then no, no, they can't get away from that. She's one of us, he's one of us, they're one of us. Uh, we all tend to protect our own a little bit. And it works the other way too, unfortunately, in life. The whole premise, or at least a big part of it, of Russia's invasion of Ukraine was what? You're, you're a part of us, you should be part of motherland Russia. And, uh, and, and the people of Ukraine are pretty persistently saying back, no, you don't, you don't get to decide whether we're part of you. We get to, we get to maybe be one of us ourselves. So what do, you, what do you think of, of, of all of that in the sense that I think a lot of times people say that we as human beings are tribal creatures. Is that true? Um, perhaps it is, but I'm, I think sometimes then we allow that to limit us. In other words, theologically we're all sinners, doesn't mean we have to sin. And we may be tribal people, but it doesn't mean we have to be limited to our tribes. And in fact, in, in, in the person of Jesus Christ, uh, he was constantly reminding us the phrase, um, you're, you're one of us, um, was, was meant to be expansive, not restrictive. And that's kind of at some level the difference between life and death, light and darkness. It's important that we understand what he's teaching us. So, Let's dive into today's gospel lesson for just a little bit, then we'll take a little journey to El Salvador, and then we're going to end up back at the gospel. Um, but let, let's start with the gospel lesson. So uh, Jesus is preaching in a, or teaching in a synagogue, and there's a woman there who uh, has had some sort of uh, osteoporotic affliction so that she's been bent over for 18 years. Now, frequently in the gospels, when people have a health uh, problem or crisis, they come to Jesus for help, but in this case you get the sense that the woman has resigned herself to looking down at the ground for the rest of her life. It's been her reality for 18 years. She's a woman, she's probably older, she has, has this, at this point in a sense, deformity. No one apparently really even notices her anymore. Her powerlessness probably borders on hopelessness. But Jesus notices her, and he heals her. I don't know exactly how he does that. I also don't exactly know how a heart transplant works in today's world. Healing is an amazing thing. He heals the woman. Then some additional interesting things happen. The woman immediately responds when she realizes she's been healed. And what does she do? Think about it. You could go back and look at it in, in your bulletin. She praises God. In other words, she doesn't praise Jesus. She doesn't thank Jesus. Her praise and thanks go to God. 
This is a fascinating thing about Jesus' ministry. It was never about him. It was always about God and about the people around him. He didn't create the Jesus cult. And, and the woman realizes that interested in, instantly. She praises God. The other kind of fascinating thing that immediately happens is that Jesus is criticized for healing the woman because uh, healing was considered work. It was a Sabbath day, and work was not to be done on a Sabbath. So uh, one of the leaders of the synagogue, maybe a couple of them, criticize him for healing the woman and say, you should have waited until tomorrow when it wasn't the Sabbath. You've broken the laws of Moses. Uh, now, how does Jesus respond to that? Kind of a two-tiered response. Step one by Jesus is to present a legal argument. Uh, kind of like, well, okay, if you're going to throw a legal technicality at me, how about this? And he says back to them, hey, you allow yourself to do some work on Sabbaths, and Moses' law does, of leading your animal to water. If you can do that, can't you heal a woman uh, who's been bent over for 18 years on the Sabbath? That seems pretty logical to me, but apparently it wasn't logical to the religious leaders, and they apparently continue to object. So Jesus switches from rationality to emotion. This would have bothered Spock and Star Trek, but one of the things about that series was the constant conflict between reason and emotion, feelings. So Jesus goes a different route and he says, you know, the, the great enemy somehow is Satan, and, and Satan's had her bound for 18 years, and isn't she a daughter of Abraham? Isn't she, in a sense, one of us, a uh, fellow Jew in this situation, and, and isn't she worthy of being healed? And when he says that, the emotion of, of pointing out to everybody, she's one of us, uh, that wins the day. And, and the crowd goes wild, and his opponents are put to shame. But do you think, actually, that everybody uh, fully comprehended what he was getting at? Because at first glance, he seems to be playing the, the, the one of us making the circle smaller. Uh, God's healing is for certain special chosen people like us. And, and in reality, Jesus was actually, I think, going in a very different direction. Um, so think about the crowd. They, they do kind of get it and cheer for Jesus, but uh, apparently before this happens, they're not paying attention to the woman. In other words, then, Maybe it's even worse now when somebody's different in any way, when somebody's getting older, when somebody has a disability of any sort. Um, isn't it true that we tend to stop noticing them? We tend to stop uh, seeking out their opinions. We tend to not put them into positions of leadership. In other words, we make them increasingly invisible like this woman was invisible and they're no longer one of us. When Jesus says she's one of us, she's a daughter of Abraham, I think what he's trying to say to the crowd is, is you, need to, you need to wake up and reclaim her as a part of you. She's an important part of your community, and whatever she's facing isn't, isn't, isn't anything she's done, and as a result, you need to act. You need to, to re-welcome her into the community, which should always be getting bigger, not smaller. They, they maybe understood part of that, not all of that. Kind of like us, right? We get some things right from a faith perspective. Nobody ever gets it all perfect. Uh, as for the faith leaders, they end up in a, in a weird position, don't they? And in other words, both, you know, Judaism of Jesus' time is an advanced moral culture. 
And yet the religious leaders get themselves into the position where they're, where they're against the healing of a woman who's been sick for 18 years. That didn't make any sense then, and it doesn't make any sense now. But they talked themselves into it, I think because they were so threatened by kind of Jesus' spontaneity and his unwillingness to be bound by conventions that actually worked against human beings. He wasn't going to be a part of that. If, if somebody was sick, they should be healed right now, and that's what he did. And, and so they end up in kind of this ridiculous place, and, and they're put to shame. And I don't think Jesus set out on the day to put anybody to shame, but, but when you take a really crazy position, that's, that's kind of what ends up happening. Have you put yourself recently into any kind of crazy positions where you, where you yourself would never have done that five years ago in a different situation, but you did it now because of your own maybe pride or stubbornness? I'd do that. Um, I think we all do it at some point. Uh, let's learn from our various mistakes, right? Now, on all the live services this weekend, actually most of the sermon is going to be a conversation uh, with different people who were part of our delegation to El Salvador this, this past week. Um, I'm going to take just a little time right now. Uh, we, we won't do those conversations, but I want to tell you one story from El Salvador. And also, just every couple of years, it's probably good to explain our, our ministries there. So let's start there. Sometimes people ask, why are we in El Salvador? Answer to that is we're part of the Evangelical Lutheran Church in America. We have 65 regional synods. We happen to be part of the Greater Milwaukee Synod. Each one of those synods is linked uh, internationally to some Lutheran church in another country. We're linked to the Salvadorian Lutheran Church. Uh, so as a result, uh, if we're looking for an international partnership, that's where we go. We've always had people in this congregation who had Spanish fluency, and so that made it easier for us to make it. So that explains why El Salvador. Uh, sometimes people wonder, why, why do you go so far when, when there are so many needs close to home? I, I think that's a good question. And the way we answer it as a congregation is kind of two things. Number one, our, the majority of our partnerships, our time, and our resources go into local partnerships and areas of ministry need. Um, but Christ Church is also worldwide. Uh, we're blessed with a lot of resources, so it's probably not an either-or. It's probably a both-and. We're capable of being both in an international partnership and in all of our local ones. And I think uh, most of the people in our congregation get that and have supported it for years and years and years. We're connected to two communities in, in, in uh, El Salvador. Sometimes people ask, why two? The answer to that is, we all, in, within our synod, we always connect to a congregation there. We're connected to Lamb of God Lutheran Church, Cordero de Dios Lutheran Church in Soyapango, which is part of the urban sprawl of the capital city of San Salvador. Um, but we're also connected to a rural farming community called Rutilio Grande, and the, and the reason for that connection is uh, uh, in 1991, that community was settled as refugees coming back to El Salvador after their civil war. Multiple people from our Greater Milwaukee Synod helped to settle them and we've been connected ever since. When we send delegations, we nearly always go to both places. And one other one that kind of grieves me a little bit that sometimes people ask about is, is like, well, if I never go, like, do I get looked down on because I didn't care enough to go to El Salvador or something like that? Um, no, I mean, there's no way we could take everybody in our congregation at any point anyway. Uh, I think, I, I think, what all of us should always kind of be working on from a faith perspective is, is we have a lot of ministries beyond ourselves here. 
And, and I hope you pray for them, and I know you financially support them. And I know lots of people get personally involved in them, but not everybody. I, I think the personal challenge for all of us in, in that is don't let, don't let church ever just be something you consume. In other words, have it be just for you. I, I think the point of the faith community is, is sometimes you consume and sometimes you give. And however you do that or work that out, trust the Spirit to lead you in the right direction. Maybe you should go to El Salvador at some point. Maybe that's the last place you should go. Um, but there are other ways that you can give. How about this most recent trip? Uh, I, I thought what was what, something that really struck me about this trip was we've been connected down there for 20 years. That's 20 years of growing in relationship, making mistakes, uh, learning to trust each other, and sometimes not uh, being fully able to do that. An interesting thing that happened on this trip is when we were in the rural community of, of Rutilia Grande, that's a farming community. They work super hard growing corn and beans and uh, now a variety of livestock. But they've never asked us to help with what they actually do in their daily lives. And this time they did. Um, they, they, we needed to pick some corn and it's ripe now. And uh, there was gonna be a community celebration for Rutilia Grande. The people from Cordero de, de Dios were coming out in a bus and, and we were there, so all of these communities were gonna to be together at the same time. And we needed tamales and we needed a toll, which is a drink made from corn, and corn had to come from some place, so it had to be picked. So about half of our group walked out to a field, about a two mile walk, downhill on the way out, uh, muddy, gravelly roads, and we picked corn for a while, which was kind of interesting, fairly easy. Um, and, uh, you know, super hot. Uh, we worked really hard and thought, ooh, this was cool. Little problem was is we hadn't fully comprehended that not only were we picking the corn, but we had to get it back to the community. And we had four bags to put probably three to 400 pounds of corn in, which is what we did. And then we started carrying it back uphill over those roads in probably 75 or 80 degree dew point conditions. It was incredibly difficult, uh, but we had some great people in our group who were able to physically pull that off. The thing about that is, is it was cool for us to be able to help and contribute to the meal the next day. Uh, but maybe the cooler thing was they, I, I guess, finally recognized that when we showed up and, and uh, that, that they, could, they could ask us to help with something that was really difficult and really a part of their daily lives. And that was a blessing to us, and, and hopefully a blessing to them as well. Relationships, they take time, and they take trust to both ask and to receive. And I think of, of, of Jesus constantly expanding who's welcomed in. I think one of the great obstacles to that is that we kind of check ourselves out for all sorts of reasons. Um, and, you know, let's face it, sometimes the church is, can be an unwelcoming and closed place. But, but I think good churches, for the most part, aren't. Uh, they kind of at least keep, keep the, the boundaries open a little bit. And, and then we just have to, to, to not choose things that take us into ourselves or that take us on a, a journey that maybe isn't um, grounded in the humility and the otherness that came naturally to Jesus. Um, uh, I, I also, it just kind of saddens me that, that we, 
um, I think, choose a lot of times to be divided uh, in our world. A lot of times we blame you know, politics and all that stuff, but none of that works if we don't permit it to happen in the first place. And, and Jesus wasn't a divider, he was a uniter. And we've, we've got to be serious about following him in that. How about if I leave you with this last gospel image? Um, Jesus, when he healed that woman, he, he was reminding everybody, she's one of us, stop, stop pushing her off to the side. And he did that all the time in the Gospels. But the most amazing thing about the Gospels, right, is, is always the cross. And, and the thing about the cross is, is he forgives everybody from there. And, and then I think in a curious sort of way, he does the most amazing thing. This is Jesus, theologically, son of God you know, pre-existent, all of that theological language. But, but, but there on the cross, um, he looks at you and he looks at me and in kind of the most amazing fashion of all things, he says to you and I, I'm one of you. Done. <laughs>